Rowdy bunch this morning. It's all right. I like it. I like it. Take your time, Lorraine. It's the music. Yeah, I know. We got we to gotta pump that baby up so we can hear it. Well, we would have been able to hear it if you guys weren't so loud. Oh, thank you. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Yeah, and grandfathers too, for that matter. And great-grandfathers, whatever you got. Yeah, happy, happy all that. All right, good morning, everybody. Let's uh, begin by praying together at this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our Father. We thank you, Father, that you came and saw that we were desperately hopeless, dead in our sins. You sent us your Son to die for us so that we may be with you forever by simply believing in your Son and his death and resurrection. Father, today we're going to take a look at chapter 5 of the Gospel of John where Jesus talks about you and, your, and his relationship with you. And uh, it's going to be really amazing to understand not only what he said but also its impact and its implications for us and for all people. Father, today we pray for the saints and their needs. And we also pray, Father, for our church in particular as we embark on a new adventure. Uh, we're closing on this building pretty soon and going to a new place. And so we would just ask, Father, for your guidance and protection on all that. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, a uh, few things to let you know about again. We have a mailing address that's changed because we're going to be in transit. We want to have a mailbox that stays the same as we go from here to there to there. This is our new address, 3907 North Federal Highway, Suite 223, Pompano Beach, Florida, 33064. Now, announcements again this week concerning the sale of our building. Um, we hate to keep b- b- bouncing around with you and keep you in suspense, but the fact is, there's two facts. One, we're still not exactly sure what day we're going to close, okay? And second, we want to have as many more services here as we can. So that's kind of where we're at. And so the thing to understand is that the way the contract reads, the closing can be any time between Thursday, July 1st, and Monday, July 12th, okay? So in other words... Um, we could have our next service could be our last one, right? Because if they close on the 1st of July, then that'll be it. 27th will be the last one. However, if they close on the 12th, then we've got another one. We have another Sunday, Lord's Supper Day as well. Um, so keep, keep, keep with us on that. As I mentioned, um, so again, we'll have at least one more Sunday service here in this building. We are still looking for a suitable place to finally relocate. But as I mentioned last week... Um, Art Cam, who's here with his wife, Cindy, has graciously invited us to use his facilities, Cam Consulting, um, as a place for us to gather together until we find a permanent place. So I know you don't want any attention, but I want to thank you again this morning. So we've got we to get you information about that when we're ready to go, so you know where it is and so forth. Um, okay, so once again, though, once we close, we have a month where we're moving stuff, all right? And uh, we're already starting that. Um, mentioned already, too, that you guys can look around now. I think we've got the blue tape everywhere it needs to be. Blue tape is the stuff where it's taken with us. You know, the church going to use everything else. 
you're welcome to take a look. Um, I know some of you did, most of you did last Sunday, so you may be saying, I've already seen it, you guys got nothing I want, or whatever, but we also have a lot of books in my office. Um, I've already, again, taken the ones that I'm going to keep um, in my, my home office, but there's a lot more books, right? I mean, Peter and Ruth, aren't there a lot more books in there? Yeah. So anyway, take a look around, see if there's something you might like there, too. Now, because we're going to be uh, moving, we are, we have a moving company, but we need to pack things up, so we'll need some help with that. Um, if you're able to do that, we appreciate your help with that as well. Um, again, once we close, then we have a month to pack, just so you know. But probably be on the, on the sooner than the later of that. After. Yeah, right. We, in the contract, we've got a month after the closing. Yeah. But we can't have service here because we don't own the building anymore. But we can, they're giving us time to move out. So, which is nice. Well, we asked for it. It's part of the negotiating. But in any event, that's what we got. Um, so I think we're up to date on that. Thanks again for your flexibility with this. Um, and obviously we'll let you know as soon as we know for sure and then roll out the plan so you know, for example, where Camp Consulting actually is because it would be good for you to know if we're going to meet there and so forth. So we're going to keep you updated on all that. Right? Right. Yes, Peter. Oh, yeah, we, we, we haven't had a group this month. We're taking a month off. Yeah, yep. Yep, good question. Any Bible questions while we're at it? <laughs> anyway, all right, so uh, that's the other thing, though. We're going to start meeting face-to-face once again on Thursday evenings. So we'll still have Skype for those of you that can't be with us, but we're going to get back together again, which is great. You know, the vaccines are really working. All right. This morning, the title of today's message comes from John chapter 5, like father, like son. Now, I didn't plan this, but how's that for Father's Day, right? Like father, like son. Let's begin. John chapter 5, verse 19. John 5.19. What we're going to look at today is an amazing passage. As a matter of fact, see how it says 19 to 30? That was my original goal. But there's so much here that we're going to have to continue next week on this section, 19 to 30. Okay, so we're going to, we're going to get partway through this morning. Let's read the whole passage together. John chapter 5, verses 19 to 30. John 5, 19 to 30. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them. Now, in context, we'll talk about this a little more in a second. But Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's gone there alone, right? And he, he had the great healing of the paralytic at the pool at Bethesda. And that was a kind of a complicated thing because the man, remember, never even gave him any gratitude for it. And it wasn't clear. He didn't give any indication that he even believed or even knew who Jesus was. But then the Pharisees come along and they spot the fact that this guy's carrying his pallet home on the Sabbath. Right? Which was not at all. That was a total perversion of the Sabbath principle. But in any event, they asked him, why are you doing this? Remember? And he said, well, the guy who healed me told me to, you know, 
And then uh, and he said, who is it? Well, I don't know. Then they met. Jesus and, and, the, and the healed paralytic meet again in the temple. And this time he finds out who it is. Right? And then, he go, then this guy comes running to the Pharisees. I know who it is. You know? Unbelievable. That's really the, but the thing, that's really serious. That's the start of the conflict between Jesus and the leaders, of, uh, religious leaders in particular of Jerusalem. So that's where we are this morning. And we're going to see that you or I, if we've been in a situation where we really sparked the ire, the anger of the religious establishment, we probably want to find a way to kind of gracefully exit, right? I don't want to get in trouble with these guys. Jesus does the opposite. He goes right at it. And the at it he's going at is the fact that he is God and he's the son of God. And he's going to stay on that. He's not going to let them you know, get him to off that subject, no matter what it costs him ultimately. And ultimately, it'll cost him his life. Because from here forward, that conflict is going to get greater and greater and greater until we get to the point in chapter 11 where the, where the leader uh, of, the, of the religious clan there says, you know what, it's better for one man to die and to save the rest of the people. And that's what they're going to end up doing. They're going to hand Jesus over to the Roman officials and they're going to have him crucified. It all starts here, though. This is where the conflict begins. All right, John chapter 5, verses 19 to 30. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, the religious leaders, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son. And shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these. So that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead, it gives them life. Even so, the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone. But he has given all judgment to the Son. So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man, the Messiah. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So again, Jesus healed that paralytic, and that one act was a catalyst 
but will become a chain reaction of hatred and conflict with the religious leaders of the Jews. Please go back to verse 17 as we introduce ourselves today to where we're at. John chapter 5, verse 17. Just back up a couple of verses from when we started. Because this whole, what he says, today's passage has its genesis, its, its roots, in what he says in verse 17. After they challenged him, what are you doing healing on the Sabbath? What are you doing telling somebody else to break the Sabbath? He said, verse 17, but he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. What happened? Jesus just added jet fuel, fuel to the fire. Because not only is he saying, I, I, I can do things on the Sabbath, he's also staying, pointing to heaven and saying, my father. Of course, that's God. And he's saying, well, he, he's my father. Well, they understood what he was saying. And by the way, I can imagine that after he said just those two words, my father, that was it. They weren't, that's, like their mind was blown. They wouldn't listen to anything else. They had begun by wanting to persecute him because he healed on the Sabbath. But now that he said, my father, now they'll want to kill him. With those two words, you see, Jesus, in their mind, was making himself equal to God. Now, he is God. But as we're also going to see, the interesting thing about the relationship between Jesus and his father is that there's also an order that in everything the son submits to the will of the father. The father sends the son. It's the father's will that the son carries out. So you have this amazing combination. So in one sense, he is equal to the Father, because he's God. In another sense, though, he submits to the Father. And that's a very important thing to understand. We'll see more of that as we go along. So, and by the way, now that Jesus has said that, again, he's only getting started. Lest he leave any doubt about what he meant there in verse 17. He is now going to deliver what's called his first public discourse. And it's going to be all about his relationship with the Father as his son. All about, in other words, the fact that he's God and God is his Father. All about that. He's not going to, he's not going to move away from that subject. He's going to dive right in. Now, we, we, I talked about a discourse. That's basically, it's basically, you could think of it as a teaching or a sermon. Okay, so in this gospel, there's a pattern where Jesus will perform a miracle, a sign, And then he will then teach something related to it. It's going to happen again and again, and we're going to see that. Um, But but here, really, he's not really directly teaching about the miracle of healing the paralytic. They've moved on from that, a much more important subject, which is the fact that he's God in the flesh, and he has a unique relationship with his father. Now, you may have noticed, as I was reading this this morning, that this discourse is built around a, a series of pairs, two things. Okay, again and again and again. And I want you to notice what they are. And I want you to get a sense of the scope of what it is that Jesus is really dealing with in this first public discourse. We saw the Father and the Son. All right, that's a pair. What a pair it is. Right, even with that, we, we, we go back to what we saw in the beginning where the Word was with God, the Son, and the Word was God. Right? So we have that pair. And all that that relationship means, that's all being worked out here. That alone would be enough to say, wow, what a, what a subject he's embarking on. But in addition to that, there is this the issue of life versus judgment. Now, of course, the father has perfect life in himself. So does the son. 
So when they start talking about life and judgment, now the, 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 the camera is shifting to human beings and saying, now I want to look at the basic things about being human. It, it, God's facing God, which is, do, you, do we receive life or do we receive judgment? And that, too, is, is built, it comes out of the relationship between the Father and the Son. That, in other words, that the Father has given all judgment to the Son. The Father has life in himself, he, and the Son has life in himself. The Son can give life to whomever he wishes. So we have these amazing things about humanity, life, and judgment. That's all here. Related to that, of course, is life and death, which we also have here. He who has believed in him who sent me has passed out of death into life. These are big things about being human. The biggest. You know, what's the meaning of life? What's life and death? Why do we live? Why do we die? Why do why why some get judged and some have eternal life? How is it that God is Father and Son? I mean, these are big, 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 big things. Then we also have an hour that is coming in the future. And an hour that now is. In other words, all time. From here forward, and as a matter of fact, back in the past till now, because he's going to say that all the things my father's done, I've done, like creating people and giving, creating humanity, creating the universe and so forth. But especially here, he's talking about what, what's happening now, okay, for them and, and for us and in, in the area of salvation, life or judgment, and then the hour that's coming. In that case, that's the last day. All of that. He's dealing with here. Can you see how huge, for lack of a better word, how all-encompassing this section, this first discourse really is? He's laying out the biggest things of all. And he's going to tie them all back together to who he is and his intimate relationship with the Father. Okay? And so now the Pharisees listening to all of this realize this guy is not backing down. In fact, he's totally expanding and opening up the issue of who he is. But we're not done. We also see good deeds and evil deeds. Good and evil. The, the, one of the mysteries of being human is where we always want to know where does evil come from? Where does suffering come from? And how does that relate to our, who we are and what we do? And what difference does it make? So he deals with all of that here. And here he's going to point to the future. He's going to say, look, look, the, the, the things that men do have a relationship with the future. Now, we're going to, that's going to be touchy ground for us because we know that salvation is by faith, not of works. So we're going to have to work through what he's saying here. Nevertheless, he is laying out on the table the good and the bad, the good and the evil. Also in the future, he's going to talk about resurrection. In the future, he's going to talk about a resurrection of life and a resurrection of judgment. There it is again, life and judgment. You see those, now, so now he's bringing it into the subject of resurrection. Now we normally think of resurrection in terms of life, right? But here he's distinguishing a resurrection to eternal life and a resurrection to judgment. So that you can, you can, you can exist forever, but that is not the same thing as having a life forever, as we know. I mean, that's part of the gospel, is that those who do not believe in Christ are condemned already. They're, they're being judged, all right? So we have to see that Jesus is dealing with those huge things as well. All of this here in this discourse, you know, a few, uh, from verse 19 to 47, ultimately. And then finally, the will of God. But it's two wills. 
that are actually one will. If I'm, I'm hoping I'm not confusing you right now, but this is what we're dealing with because the son, for example, can give life to whomever he wishes. That, that sounds like his will. But he also submits in everything to the father's will. So we have two wills, but they're really one will because of their relationship. The son does everything that the father tells him to do. In fact, they are one. They are one mind, one will, one action. So again, we have the greatest possible sweep of subjects here. From life to death, from here to eternity, good and evil. Who God is. Ultimate destinies for man. All of these things. And at the center of it all is one person. That person that's standing there in front of those religious leaders. The same person who has just healed a paralytic. The same person who's going to go on and, and is going to bring back Lazarus from the dead. The same person who went to the cross, died for our sins, was raised from the dead. The same person who's at the right hand of the Father right now. It's all the same person. All of human history revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. The entire word of God revolves around the person of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. And, and, and so he, he, clearly in these issues, he's the center too. In other words, why was man created? You want to know why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because it was through that means that the Father was going to give maximum glory to his Son, for example. Just in that issue alone. All of time. In John chapter 17, he's going to say to the Father, Hey, I'm glorifying you. I know you're going to glorify me with the glory that we had before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the same Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. All of time, therefore, revolves around this person. And so forth. Now, but in particular now, the great theme of this section, this first discourse, is intimacy. Love. How they're inseparable from one another. Like father, like son. This is what he's really going to highlight. He's going to talk about this amazing, unique, wonderful relationship between the son and the father. Starting out understanding that, he's, that Jesus is standing there, God in the flesh, but ultimately pointing to who he's always been. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, separate person, and the Word was God. God, both, they're both God. We talk about essence and personality, whatever you want to say. It's a total mystery, but it's true. Okay, so that's the great theme. The intimacy between the Father and the Son. The son does what the father does. He, he hears what the father says and he judges accordingly. The father loves the son, has given all things to the son. It's that great intimate relationship between the father and the son that's really on display in this, the first public discourse. All right. So now let's go back and walk through the passage as we typically do. Go back to verse 19 now. John chapter 5, verse 19. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does these things, the Son does also in like manner. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, that expression, truly, truly. This is an expression Jesus uses when he's about to say something of ultimate importance. It's basically an alarm that he's saying, whoever's listening to him, you've got to hear this. 
Pay close attention to what I'm about to say. Now remember that, the, that the, in, the, in the mind of the religious leaders, he was claiming to be equal with God. So the first thing he does is, is kind of push them back on their heels on that particular thing. Why? He says, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. You see how it is? He's saying there is a way in which, you know, we're not equal because I don't do anything of myself. He initiates, you see, unless it's something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. Now, here in this section, Jesus is going to reveal himself to be God in a manner that's unparalleled anywhere else in the Bible. If, if you want to really show somebody what it means that Jesus is God, God in the flesh, there's no better place to go than John chapter 5, 19 to 30. Because not only does he say that, he also brings out all the, how it all pours out of that relationship. So that you, you, over and over again, and I'm going to stop and show these things to so you, saying, wait a minute, only God. Jesus is saying the Son does that, only God can do that. Only God can do that. So again and again and again, he's sending a message. I am God in the flesh. I'm the son of God. It's the first discourse, and it doesn't disappoint. His rebuttal now, remember, he's been accused by the Pharisees of breaking the Sabbath and of making himself equal to God, and he's going to give his rebuttal. That's what this first discourse is. But he doesn't back down. He's going to stake his claim clearly to be God's son. It's going to be clear, it's going to be vivid, and it's going to be irrefutable. That's what he's doing here. And yet, as we've just seen, he begins in a very peculiar way for achieving that goal because he's declaring his complete dependence on God. His complete dependence on God the Father. But you know what's interesting about that? By saying what he does, you know, he says, I, I, son can do nothing of himself. But unless it's something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does. In like manner. Now, now at first it sounds like he's just saying that, you know, he does, he's kind of putting himself uh, in submission to the father. And he certainly is. But there's something else here. He's also saying that he is God. Don't miss that. Why? Because a person who does whatever God does must also be Wake up. Truly, truly, the Lord says to you. Yeah, God. Right? Think about it. He says, listen, I can do nothing of myself unless it's something that I see the Father doing. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you see what the Father's doing right now? Do I? Has any other human being ever seen it? No. Who, so if somebody sees what the Father's doing, who is that somebody? God, right? It's God, the Son of God. Right? No human can ever say that. He has to be God. Then he goes on. For whatever the Father does. Think about that. Think about that statement. Whatever the Father does. What does the Father do? Well, he created the universe. Well, he gave life. He created man. Well, he issued the law. I mean, all the, all the things that God has done in the Bible, Jesus is saying all those things, the Son does them all in the same way. In other words, they're inseparable in, in what they do. In other words, he's got to be God. Go back to John chapter 1, verse 18.
The Gospel of John is a symphony. The themes get introduced. Then there's some action, a healing, a miracle. Then they could come on back around to the discourse, and we find the themes are back, but they're being developed. And then we're going we're to see that pattern again. In other words, you can go from John 1 to John 21, especially to John 17, and you'll see the same themes coming up again and again, but always in a different manner, like, like, like a variation on a theme in a symphony. Never the same, so that you're getting a more and more complete understanding of what it is that was originally introduced. For example, let's look at John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. Is that clear? Is there any room for doubt about what he's saying? No. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who's in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And you might say, no one has seen God at any time. Then how can Jesus see God? And the answer is, because he's God. I mean, it's really simple, right? No one can see God unless you are God. All right, that's the point. The only begotten God, Jesus, God in the flesh, the Son of God, who's in the bosom of the Father. There's that intimacy. Happy Father's Day. Jesus is so much one that, the, that a human description of him being in his bosom. Okay. And he's explained him. You see, see, when you think about God, Jesus doing whatever the Father's doing, the, no one's ever seen God, but a lot of people have seen Jesus. We see him still in the writings of the Gospels. And so what he's doing, since he is doing the things his Father is doing, since he only does the will of the Father, since whatever he says he's heard from the Father, he is glorifying the Father, and he's letting everybody know about the Father in a way that's never been done before Jesus came, because he's God in the flesh. So he's revealing him, revealing the grace of God, revealing the truth about who God is, revealing the fact that God desires that no one perish, but that everybody be saved. All these things about God, Jesus is revealing. He's the great revealer of God at the same time that God is the great revealer of him. See, there's that inseparability. That's the message. They're inseparable. Father, son, like father, like son. The son does whatever the father does. Again, that means if the Father created all things, the Son created all things. If the, if the Father gives life, the Son gives life. Back to John 5, verse 20. I hope you can see that Jesus is definitely not backing down. He's raising the stakes with everything he says. At first he said, listen, the reason I, I heal on the Sabbath, because my Father did, is still working, I'm still working. Okay, but he, but then people could say, okay, that's enough. I don't, want, I can't deal with that. That's blasphemy, right? And again, you or I might say, you know, I don't, I don't really want to get killed right now, so I'm going to cool it. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, I'm going to raise the stakes. I'm going to say that not only can I do, can I heal on the Sabbath because the Father still works on the Sabbath, but now I'm going to tell you that I created all things. I am God, just like God the Father is God. I am Yahweh. Jesus is saying. And in many different ways. You know, everything the Father does, he does. He hears everything the Father says, and he only speaks what the Father has him say. He's going to be the judge of everyone, we're going to say. And yet he gets that judgment from the Father. John chapter 5, verse 20. Motivation time. For the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. 
You see, and that actually, that love is really explains everything you need to know about the Father and the Son. The Father, the perfect Father, loves the perfect Son and shows Him everything He's doing. Gives the Son everything that the Father has. The perfect Son loves the Father by submitting His will entirely to the Father. By doing everything that the Father asks Him to do. It's, it's all based on love, ultimately, between the Father and the Son. In other words, when we're living also in the love of God, we'll experience that same freedom, if I could put it that way. You submit to the Father, and you have the freedom of one who is perfectly loved. That's the relationship that God has with God the Father has with God the Son. And, and this gospel does a marvelous job of this by extending that to the church. In the same way that the Father is in me, Jesus says, and I am in the Father, uh, these will be in one another, members of the church, body of Christ, believers, and I will be in them. So he's going to extend this, but it starts, the source of it, the root of it, the heart of it, is in the relationship between the Father and the Son, which is based on love. But the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these. In other words, but for now, they think he's still talking about healing on the Sabbath. But now he's expanding and he's saying, look, yes, I heal the paralytic, but I'm just getting started. Wait till what you're going to see coming down the road. That's what he's saying. The Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. By the way, it's very interesting. He's talking to the religious leaders and he doesn't, they're never going to believe, okay? I mean, read the end of the book if you, don't, if you don't think so. So notice he doesn't say, as he said, as John says other places, you know, these signs have been given so that you might believe, John, right? But Jesus is the Christ. Doesn't say that, does he here? What does he use instead? What does he use instead? Greater works than these so that you will believe? Come on, guys. The end of verse 20. The Father will show him greater works than these so that you will Marvel! What's he saying? He's saying, look, these are gonna, you're going to marvel. You're not going to have any explanation for it. And if it wasn't for the hardness of your heart, it's, if it wasn't for the fact that you hate me without a cause, this would have been more than enough for you to understand who I am. The only explanation for you not accepting who I am is your heart of, of stone, you see. And they'll still marvel, but they won't, they won't let it lead to believing in him. For just as the Father raises the dead, it gives them life. Even so, the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. So now, we've seen already that Jesus has revealed that he's God and the different things that he said. That continues here. I want you to think about the Bible. I want you to think about people in the Bible. And I'd like you to name any other person besides Jesus that the Bible says that God shows him all things that he's doing. Anybody else? Maybe a couple, right? You know, I mean, Abraham, right? Was a, David was a man after his own heart. He saw some things. Abraham saw some things, but not everything that the Father is doing. Only God can do that. And the Jewish leaders knew that Jesus had just spoken the word and a blind man walked and he's saying to them now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And these greater works that he's talking about 
Again, read the whole book and you'll find out, right? Raising Lazarus from the dead. By any measure, that is a greater work than healing somebody who's paralyzed. Right? Sure. He's raising him from the dead. And, of course, he's talking now. He's going to take that one that hasn't happened yet in terms of the narrative. But it's, he's going to think about that. And they're going to reflect on it. And he, but he's also going to say that even that is just a small, you know, example of my power to give life. His own resurrection is a greater work. And they, they're, going to, they're going to hear about it. They won't see it. Because God doesn't reveal that to them, but they'll hear about it for sure. Matter of fact, the religious leaders, when they heard the tomb was empty, they, they, they bribed the soldiers. They say, you know what? Tell them that the disciples took the body away. They knew. This is what I mean. They knew. They had to marvel, but at the same time, they would refuse to believe. So, but not only does he talk about his own resurrection, the resurrection of Lazarus, but as we've seen already, he's going to go all the way to the last judgment and talk about a resurrection of life for all men and a resurrection of judgment. Well, resurrection either to life or to judgment. That includes the entire human race. Those, that is the greater works too that he's talking about right here. Now, the Jewish leaders, at least those who read their Old Testament scriptures, they knew what the scriptures said about who can give life. Answer, only God. Again, why Jesus is saying that he's going to give life to whomever he wishes, once again, what is he declaring? That he's God. Because only God can raise the dead and give them life. In the Old Testament, that meant Yahweh. In the, in, in the terms that Jesus is using, that meant God the Father. But now that God has sent his Son into the world... Now that son is shown to have, he's always had it, the same power to give life. Same power to give life. And again, the power to give life is the prerogative of God alone. You know, I kind of hope that there's some evolutionists listening to this message today. Because a lot of people believe that, you know, life had to come from somewhere. And if we work hard enough, we'll create it. They would have saved themselves tons of time and money if they would just believe. Only God can raise the dead. Only God can give life. Now there's an expression here at the end of verse 21 that sometimes trips people up. Not only does it trip people up, but there's certain theological bents out there that use this to say, you've heard this before, you see there it is. Jesus is arbitrary. He can pick whoever he wants and give them life. You see, that God selects some and not others. That's what happens when people abuse the scriptures, twist the scriptures. That's not what it means. I'm going to show you what it means. This expression, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes, please, don't think for a minute that he's saying it's arbitrary. It's anything but. Now remember, this Jesus, we're saying, whoever he pleases, what is he pleased to do? Well, the Son doesn't do his own will, but the will of the Father who sent him. Anything that it pleases the Son to do, it's because it's in the will of the Father who sent him. Does that at least start there? It's not, Jesus isn't arbitrarily doing anything. He says, I don't do anything unless it's, I see my Father doing it, or he says I can do it. So that whatever it is that he desires, whatever it is in terms of life, 
that he is giving to those whom he pleases, he wishes, it's going to line up with the wish of the Father. So let's keep moving with that. We can take thoughts and glue them together here, right? Well, what if Jesus' will and desire, and it says that he is giving life to whom he wishes, and all that he wishes is what the Father wishes, then what's the will or the desire of the Father? I'm talking about in particular in this area of giving life and salvation. Who is it, in other words, that the Father wants and seeks to give life to? John 3.16. Go back, go, go. Go to John 3.16. I know you know, we all know it, right? But it's okay, you can still look at it in the Bible again. Because here we're looking at the question, Jesus, Jesus gives life to whom he desires. He does only the desires of his Father. Who does the Father desire to give life to? Let's read it, John 3.16. For God so loved the what world? Does it say God so loved the Calvinists? <laughs> right? The elect? The, the special holy people? The world. And by the way, John uses the world to mean the, the mass of humanity that hasn't believed in Christ yet. Okay? He loves, God loves all of them. Then what did he do for them? The whole world. All human beings, all unbelievers. He gave his only begotten son for them so that what? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So what is the will of the father when it comes to eternal life? Who is it that he wants to have it? Whoever believes in him. So therefore, Jesus, when it says that he can give life to whom he wishes, who is it that he can give life to according to lining up with the will of his father? Whoever believes in him. So it's anything but arbitrary. I hope you, you know, I, I know that's multi-step, but you know this, right, in your heart, and I want you to see it in the scriptures. Yeah, it's whoever believes. All right. Now, we talked about life, and only God has the ability to give life, so that Jesus can give life, he must be God. Well, the same thing is true about the authority to judge. If you think about the question, who has the authority to judge Everybody who ever lived, only God, right? Only God. Please turn to Psalm chapter Psalm nine, verse seven. Psalm nine, verse seven. And it's important to see some of these things in the Old Testament. The reason is, is that the religious leaders, Psalm nine seven, the religious leaders, especially the Pharisees knew their Old Testament Bible. They definitely knew the Psalms. And so, so when, when they hear Jesus talking about judgment, and they, they, they'll, they'll remember that, wait a minute, in my scriptures it says that only God can judge everybody. Like Psalm chapter, chapter 9, verse 7. But the Lord, Yahweh, God, for the Old Testament believer, the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. God. And he will judge who? The world. Again, the world is everybody in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. So, only God has the authority to judge all men. Jesus is going to say that his judgment is just. And here we see the same thing. He's saying, listen, all the judgment that God does is in righteousness and what's right, what's just. And he will execute judgment for all the peoples with equity. 
In other words, he's no respecter of person. He doesn't choose some and reject others arbitrarily. Okay. Go, go to John chapter 5, verse 22 now, where we see this whole issue of judgment coming up. We've seen life, now let's see judgment. And again, these are set up as, as the two paths, the two destinations for every human being. Life or judgment. You can't miss it in the Gospel of John. Life, judgment. It goes all the way back to the Deuteronomy, right? I set before you life and death. Choose life and you may live. John chapter 5, verse 22. Notice this. Not even the Father judges anyone. Now, if you're a Jewish rabbi and you know what Psalm 9 says, and believe me, it's in a host of other places, that Yahweh judges everybody. And now Jesus comes along and he says, not even the Father judges anyone. They're like, whoa, that's pretty blasphemous too. Because we know that when you say Father, you mean God. And we know in our Bible that God judges everyone. And now here you're saying that he doesn't judge anyone. Can you see how he's getting more and more upset with every word that he says? Okay, so let's think about that. Well, keep reading. Now remember, in the Old Testament, Yahweh, all right, God the Father hasn't yet sent the Son in flesh, has he? Merry Christmas. That happens in Bethlehem in 4 or 6 BC. All right, not the Old Testament, that hadn't happened yet. So in other words, they primarily thought about God as singular. There is Yahweh. You will worship God and no other gods, right? Okay. So that's what they thought. But now Jesus is standing there in the flesh, and he knows, if they don't, that he's God in the flesh. And so what's being said here is that, in a sense, what you understood as the judgment of God in the Old Testament has now been handed over to God, <laughs> Only it's God the Son. You see, you didn't, you didn't understand that there was God the Father and God the Son, and they were both God. So no matter who it is that does the judging, it's God. And now we realize that God the Father, who, who had, the, had the authority to judge, also God the Son has the authority to judge, because they're both God. Make sense? Only here, remember that, that, that okay, so what's the relationship between the Father and the Son? The Son reveals the Father. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Therefore, the the fact that God the Father has given judgment to the Son and that the Son is going to rule and judge with righteousness goes back to the Father and gives Him glory. Does that that, that make sense? Now that this amazing thing has happened and God is now in the flesh, you see, it's more glorious to the Godhead for the God the Son to be doing it. And as we know... God the Son will do it. God the Son, Jesus, will come back. And then he will set up his kingdom. And he will be the great judge of everybody. He's going to to evaluate the Jews before they go into the kingdom. He's going to evaluate the Gentile nations, the sheep and the goats. Okay, He's he's already, we, the church, are already beyond judgment. We're going to see that come up. And then at the very end, okay, after the kingdom... There's going to be what's called in the Bible the great white throne judgment for unbelievers. All of those judgments are going to be conducted by the Son. The Son. That is what gives the most glory to the Father, is when the Son is glorified in that manner. 
Not even the Father judges anyone. But He has given all judgment to the Son. Why? So important to understand why. And it's really, here it is, simple. So that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. See, in God's plan, the ultimate objective of God the Father's plan for the human race is to glorify His Son. Period. And so that if, if people want to really honor and glorify God, the only way for them to do it is to honor and glorify the Son. That's what it says. So they all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Now, what's happening? Ratcheting up the stakes even more. Why? Because, you know, if you, if you had said to those Jewish religious folks, you said, listen, do you honor God? They would have said, of course, we love God with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength. And they go on and on about how they honor God. Now, Jesus is standing there. He's already made it crystal clear that He is God the Son. And what he's saying to them is, if you don't honor me in exactly the same way as you honor Yahweh, you are not honoring Yahweh. I mean, can you see how that is in your face, if I could put it that way? Very confrontational, very convicting, very, very challenging. And by the way, the same thing is true for the majority of the human race. Oh, people will say they believe in God. Oh, yeah, I know there's somebody, something out there that created everything. I believe in God. I'm, I'm also very spiritual. What do you think about Jesus Christ? <sighs> Don't talk to me about that. Maybe he was a good teacher or something. Or maybe, you know, he was a good man. Right? Isn't that, what, isn't that true today? There's, a, there's many, 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 many more people who honor God, they don't know him, than will ever honor Jesus. Okay. Some things never change. So why has the Father given all judgment to the Son? Real simply, so that they all might recognize the glory of his Son. This is what's going to happen, you see. This, from the time that Jesus Christ it reveals himself, and God reveals him, all the way to the end of time, there's going to be this issue of him, him being glorified by the people so that God gets glorified through him in greater and greater and greater and more amazing ways. I mean, that's true of the resurrection from the dead, for example. It's Jesus who was resurrected from the dead. He gets the glory, and yet it reflects on the glory of his Father. And on and on we go. That's God's plan. It's no accident. They want, the Father wants everybody to recognize the deity of Jesus, the majesty of God the Son, the glory of God the Son, and he shares all of that with the Father so that when they recognize that in the Son, they are essentially also recognizing and worshiping the Father. Look at John 1.14. Like Father, like Son. And the Word, remember, a Word existed from all of eternity. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is the light, the life of men. Now we find out something else about the Word. We've been there. We studied John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. That's Jesus. God, the Son, became flesh. And then what? What happened? And we saw His glory. His glory. Whose glory? Jesus' glory. 
God the Son in flesh glory. We saw his glory, but also that was the glory as of the only begotten from the Father. There it is again. Glory of the Son is the glory of the Father. Full of grace and truth. You see, that's something else. We, if we want to really understand what it means to give glory to God, we have to understand at least two things, according to this verse anyway, that God is a God of grace and God is a God of truth. So it doesn't make any sense to say that you, you glorify and worship God if you're a legalist. How about that? Why? Because that's a contradiction of grace and that's a contradiction of who God is. You could, you could really say, somebody who's, who's a legalist and says they worship God, you can very well ask them, which one? Seriously, which one? Because after all, the Muslims worship a God that tells you if you don't do this and don't do that, you're going to be condemned. And so if you don't understand the heartbeat of God, are you really worshiping him? I don't think so. I mean, if you're the older brother in the parable of the prodigal father, by the way, it's the prodigal father, not the prodigal son. Because prodigal means giving all kinds of stuff in any event. Okay, if you're, the, if you're the younger brother and you go through what you go through and you come back and then you're, you're in awe of your father, you'll worship in that sense. You're worshiping the father in that sense. You're the older brother and you're a legalist and you don't want, you don't want your father to be generous with anybody except maybe you, all right? Are you really honoring him by having that attitude? Of course not. It's a contradiction to who he is. And then truth. You know, there's a lot of people who will say, well, you know, I, I know who God is, and I have a great feeling towards him, and he talks to me. And, you know, I look out in nature, and I think about a mountain, and I'm saying, wow, look at that God, and you gave it, created it just for me tonight. You know, there's that sunset and all that. Now, in a way, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. However, how is it that we're supposed to worship God in Spirit and in truth. Now, how do you worship God in truth? Seriously, how do you worship God in truth? Is it your truth? Is it the culture's truth today? Is it the white guy's truth? Is it the black guy's truth? No. Is it, is it is the straight, macho guy's truth? No. Is it the homosexual's truth? No. It's whose truth? God's truth. Now, how are you going to know God's truth? Is it on a billboard somewhere? No, right? Do you get it in a dream? No. That Bible in front of you. So if you're going to worship God in truth, that means you've got to know the truth <laughs> and the word of God. Now remember, Jesus is going to say in John 14, 16, what is he going to say? I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. But notice he says he is the truth. So that gets right back, by the way. The point I'm trying to make is that the whole Bible is the truth, and the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And Jesus is the truth, for Jesus is the whole Bible. How's that? So you can't possibly worship and honor the Father if you don't hear on a consistent basis from the Word of God. The only way to understand God is to know Him. The only way to know Him is to hear what He says in His book. The, perhaps, greatest tragedy of the church today is that they've totally lost sight of that. Totally. They think they can worship God any way they want. They actually think that worship is just somebody with long hair and a guitar singing the same three words over and over again. 
Oh, we praise you. Oh, we worship you. They might, but that's not worship. How do we worship God? In spirit and in truth. So we better be filling up our plate with the truth if we really want to say we worship God. Okay. Hold on a second. I'm getting off my soapbox now. All right. And he who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. Those who do not honor Jesus as Messiah and God are actually dishonoring God the Father. Dishonoring Yahweh, if I could put it that way. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, here we are. Another incredible gospel message right here. Truly, truly. Oh, by the way, what are those two words again? Truly, truly. Those of you who haven't had your coffee and are tempted to nod off, now's not a good time. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes, what would you expect to say here, by the way? Whoever believes in Jesus, right? Or the Son, right? Is that what it says, though? What does it say? Believes him who says, who sent me. Has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. So we're going to see that the fact that he's saying that you hear his word and yet you believe him who sent him. is very, it's, and by the way, this is going to be another statement of the same thing we've been looking at. Now he and the father are one. Hearing his word is hearing the Father's word because he doesn't speak anything except what the Father tells him to speak. Honoring Jesus is honoring the one who sent him. Believing in the one who sent him is believing in Jesus. Why? Because they're one. All right. Now it says here that God has given, has sent Jesus into the world. And he sent Jesus into the world to save the world, not to judge the world. In other words, now, you might say, wait a minute, you've been talking about judgment a lot today. How can it be that God sent his son into the world to save the world and not judge the world when we know full well there's going to be a judgment? Well, you see, there's a difference between purpose and result, right? For, for example, a simple illustration. Was it God's purpose, his purpose, to create Adam and the woman so that they would fall? No. Was that the result? Yes. All right. So there's a difference between purpose, that none would perish. I sent my son to save the world, not to judge it. That's the purpose. But you see, there's this thing about Jesus being in the world that forces an issue. It forces a decision. It forces the issue. Right? Once, once you've seen the light, you know, if you go back in the darkness, now that you know there's light, that's your choice, right? So that, that sending Jesus in the world to save the world doesn't mean that everyone's going to be saved, all right? God's purpose, though, was not to judge the world. But the result of Jesus coming into the world, the light of the world, will be judgment anyway, for those who don't believe in the light of the world. And it's very interesting that God the Father won't judge him. It's the word that Jesus speaks that will judge them. In other words, now that God's Son has come and is revealing God for all, that he, for all that he is, for who he is, the words that he speaks are the words of God. And therefore, those who reject the words that Jesus speaks 
rejects God. And then that's the reason why they will be judged on the last day. Not for their sins, by the way. Not for their sins, but what? For rejecting the word, the truth, the gospel message. Does that make sense? You can send somebody to rescue somebody. That's your purpose. But if that causes them to move farther away from shore so that they they drown, that's the result. There's a difference between purpose and result. It's very important to understand. God is not willing that any should perish. Period. That's his heartbeat. Unfortunately, the, the means that he used, sending his son into the world to save the world, actually also puts people in the place where if they run away from the salvation, then they've run away from it. And in a sense, they've judged themselves because they've rejected the word. Okay. A lot of people get confused, including me at times, about that difference. Now, again, let me bring this up. Notice that hearing the word is equivalent to believing the Father. Hearing the word that Jesus speaks is equivalent to believing the Father who sent them. And yet other times in this gospel, Jesus is going to talk about believing in the Son for salvation. So which is it? Is it the Son or is it the Father? The question goes away. There's no question. Once you realize that Jesus and his Father are one. So when he says, believe the Father who sent me, that's the same thing as saying, believe in me. And vice versa. We believe in Christ, it's the same thing as believing in the Father who sent him. Because they're one and the same. A lot of people, again, get confused about that. There's a lot, uh, a, a uh, occupational hazard of being a pastor, and sometimes just being a Christian, is that we tend to get very legalistic about the words. In other words, well, you know what? There's a contradiction here because it says over here, believe in Jesus. It says over here, believe in the Father. And I've been teaching, believe in Jesus. So there's got to be something wrong. You know, that's the way sometimes people, pastors, get. Very dogmatic, very limited, very narrow, right? Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not good. Okay, here we need to understand that Jesus and the Father are one and the same. And that principle that Jesus is in the Father and Father is in Jesus it's true, it's said many places, but this is never more fully shown, manifested, poured out to the max than in their work together of salvation. Of salvation. That's where it reaches the high point about them being one, about the Son doing the works of the Father and how the Son submits to the Father's will. It comes to its peak in salvation. Look at John chapter 5, verse 25 now. Let's keep moving. John 5, verse 25. One more time. Truly, truly, I say to you. He said it to them. He says it to us. An hour is coming in the future and now is in the present when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Notice there's two hours. This is so important to understand. Okay, there's two. Right? In other words, he's dealing about, the, once again, the great themes of life and judgment. And yet there's two hours. There's two different time perspectives on the question of life and the question of judgment. After all, in John chapter 3, he said, He who believes in the Father has, has, is not condemned. Now, the hour that now is, he who does not believe has been condemned already. Now. So there's a now aspect to life and judgment. Okay? But there's another one, which is a future aspect. 
you know, a lot of people want to mold, bring those together and say it's all happening now or it's none. No, there's a now and then there's a future, an hour to come. All right. Notice in verse 24, back again. Good verse. Notice it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word now and believes him who sent me now has eternal life now and does not come into judgment now and ever, but is passed out of death into life. It's already happened. There's the now. Blessed, blessed. That's the, that, is the, that is the only issue for believers is to, is to take that nowness and say, listen, I've already believed. That means I already have eternal life. I will never come into judgment. I have already passed out of death into life. I, I hope you believe that. But even if you have trouble with it, I hope you believe that Jesus says it. Jesus believes it. And right, that'll help you believe. If you believe in Christ, then you have eternal life now and forever. You will never come into judgment. You've already passed out of death into life. Whoever believes has eternal life now. A lot of people think that eternal life means, well, you've got to believe, you see, but then you've got to live a good life. You've got to have fruit. Because, you know, you, you can be confused about believing if you don't see the right kind of fruit that I define for you as your pastor and Lord, as they say. That's, by the way, that's facetious. Right? I don't, you know what I'm saying, though? Who gets to decide what fruit saves you? Yeah, God says, my work is to believe. <laughs> In any event, so we have eternal life now. And we always will. That's the nature of eternal life. You'll always have it. Begins the moment you believe. But the same goes for judgment. Judgment is past. Gone. Done for. Condemned no more. There is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Judgment is passed completely for those who believe. Do you believe that? Do you believe that all judgment from God is passed in the past for you if you believe in Christ? If you don't, then start. That's called freedom to believe this truth. Freedom. And yet, there are also the hour to come things. The future things. Or if I could put it this way, the last day things. This is where we'll close with a couple of passages. Please go to John chapter 6, verse 40. There's a now, and then there's an hour to come. John chapter 6, verse 40. There's a now. Whoever be- the now is for we who believe, by the way. Okay? Primarily. Look at John six forty. Here's the hour to come. For this is the will of my Father, Jesus says, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. When? Now. Right. And I myself will raise Him up on the last day, the hour to come. This verse captures it perfectly. Okay? For believers, you have eternal life now, and there will be a resurrection for you. The resurrection on the last day. A resurrection to life. Because, because you see, our bodies are still unredeemed. If you, you know what? If you don't think so, man, I don't know what happens when you wake up in the morning. Because I get a blast full of that message every morning. Dreams that are crazy. Thoughts that I don't know how to make sense of them. Jesus will raise up every believer on the last day. 
a resurrection of life. And Jesus is the Son, and the Father has given him life in himself. But then again, look at John 12, 48. This will be our last passage. John 12, 48. I came rolling into the pulpit this morning thinking, man, I don't know if I have enough material. That's a thought that I should banish from my head. I had a, speaking of dreams, I had a dream last night that today I was going to come and I would only have 15 minutes of message. You're saying, oh, only if dreams would come true. <laughs> John 12, 48. There's a, there's a now and there's a day to come. He rejects me and does not receive my sayings. Notice the issue. Does it say he who is, continues to sin? Doesn't say that, does it? No, it says he who rejects me and does not receive my word, my sayings, has one who judges him. The word I spoke will future judge him when? At the last day. See, on the last day, that's the hour to come, there's a resurrection of life for believers, and those who do not believe, reject them, there's a resurrection to judgment. The judgment, therefore, is a last day thing, but only for those who do not believe in Christ. Because all judgment is past for those who believe in Christ. All right, well, that's where we'll pick things up next Sunday. Sorry I kept you longer than I planned to. Um, but you did get a good, good meal, hopefully, from the Word of God by getting to that point. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much today that we can continue to be together and gather together. We thank you, Father, that you've made provision for us to continue to be able to gather together. Father, this morning, as we, as we end, we want to ask that you be there in a powerful way with your word and the convicting of the Spirit for all who do not believe. We also pray, Father, that you would be there with your provision and your mercy and kindness to the church who is being persecuted around the world right now. We also, Father, would ask that the Holy Spirit would work these things out that we've heard today in your word in the Gospel of John chapter 5 so that they would be emboldened on our hearts and we would understand the implications for these facts in our daily lives and the people that we come into contact with. We ask it all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right. Bible study Thursday on Skype. I'm hesitating because, man, I would love to say, you know, here. But, you know, I got to give some lead time for the folks that have to be here and take care of here before I get here. Um, But Thursday, 6.30, Skype. Um, If you ever have a prayer request, you can go on there. You know, I don't know what's going on out there, but I get lots of prayer requests. But none of them come from the website anymore. I've been going to that page every Thursday for five months, and it's been the same prayer. And guess who put that prayer in? Me. (laughs) So please, you don't have to. Believe me, I'm, you know, I'm glad you tell me, write on a piece of paper, um, hit me over the head with a plank that has the prayer on it. You know, I'll take it anyway. Um, but, you know, it's so, we made it easy, hopefully, for you to enter prayer requests by just going on the website, typing it in, so forth. It's not going to show up on Facebook, don't worry. All right, now the gospel of Jesus Christ, preach it. Preach it. All born sinners, Christ died for the sins of the world. Was buried. God the Father raised him from the dead on the third day. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ, our Savior, will never perish, but have eternal life. All right? You're going to keep hearing that every, every week, hopefully, unless I get too senile to remember the words. Because there's no more important message in this world. 
and in any world, at any time, than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the manner by which God has chosen for people to pass from death to life, including the people in your life who are still in death, dead in their trespasses and sins. Father, thank you again for this day together. We ask now, Father, that you would help us to relax and be living in the truth that you have set us free and also living in the challenge of what it means to be a believer. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed.